Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you've listened a while, you know that Calvary Mac hosts a Christian writing group and that many of the guest authors who come to visit that group also come on this podcast to share their stories and tell us about their written works. Tonight, my guest is Kelly, and she is one of the authors who visited the group. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being here. I am excited because you're going to be talking in part about something that no one has ever shared about on this particular podcast. But before we get to that, would you introduce yourself and tell the listeners about all the different hats you wear? Great. Good evening. So my name is Kelly Fritz. And right now I am a wife and a stepmom of a young woman that's already married and 22. I've been married for 12 years. I'm a special education teacher. I have my master's in special ed. I specialize in children that are impacted with autism. I am an author, and I am also working towards being a board-certified behavior analyst. Well, Kelly, as someone who has taught general education for many years, I just want to thank you for your work in special education. We're going to learn more about your career path. But let's start with your childhood. Will you tell our listeners about your disability, what you've been through, and the obstacles you've overcome? Yes, I am also an adult that has dyslexia. The first time I remember it being difficult to learn, I was in the first grade, and we were in the middle of a spelling test. And I remember looking around, and everybody knew exactly what to do as Mrs. Cook was at the front of the room reading off the words, apple, and people were writing it down without any difficulty. And I remember thinking at that moment that I have been set apart and that I learn differently than everyone else. I ended up going to some special classes where I was being taught some phonics and different things, but those things never stuck. And then going into high school, I... Well, eighth grade, I actually apparently tested out of getting any sort of help in the public education system. And it wasn't until I had gotten to college my sophomore year, and I went away for the weekend with a friend, and we studied all weekend for a music history class. And when we sat down to take the test, she got an A, and I barely got a C. And she goes, well, you knew the information. And I go, well, this is what always happens. You know, no matter the amount of effort that I put into it, it's still a C. Luckily, though, I'm pretty determined that I'm going to press through. So at that time, she suggested that I go to the disability service office and get tested. And that's when I found out that I had something called a memory disorder not being able to remember facts and that. And really what it came down to is the person that was giving me the evaluation didn't have the credentials to actually give me the diagnosis of dyslexia. So it wouldn't actually be until years later that I would actually find out what was going on. 
So I became a lifelong member of Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic, which is audiobooks. And if a professor asked you to read page 86, I would have to put this giant tape into this tape player and listen to the beeps. And it would go beep, beep, beep. And each beep was a page. So I'd have to start from the beginning of the tape and listen to 86 beeps to find the page that I needed to read for that class. And, and then I'd listen to it. And so it, the, the perseverance didn't end there. Like, for instance, I had to hire someone in during my bachelor's degree to audio record any handouts. So the amount of preparation that I had to do before a task needed to be done, I had to think at least a month ahead in order to get anything done. And then one day I was sitting in my, I changed majors from music to social work. And one day I was sitting in the social work class and the professor had asked me if I would meet with him after class to talk. So I went to his office And there were books piled high and dust, and he had greasy hair. And I sat down in his office, and he asked me, what is your dream? And I said at that time I wanted to be a medical social worker. And then he proceeded to tell me that I would never be a professional because I don't know the difference between maid, M-A-I-D, and maid, M-A-D-E. And I do remember like sitting there for a while and listening to him. And I don't think I got up in like a dramatic way, but I knew exactly what to do next. And that's one thing that God has given me is the ability to know exactly what to do next. So I walked across campus and I knocked on the president of the university's office door and the secretary asked me, do you have an appointment? And then I said, well, I pay, my tuition pays your salary. I need five minutes. So I walked into the president's office and sat down and the desk was as big as his room. And I said to him, I just need five minutes. I just want to tell you what one of your teachers just told me. And I proceeded to tell him, and this is the same conversation that I have had probably five to 10 times in my lifetime with people that are in power or bosses or whatever, that you're not allowed to discriminate against us. You're not allowed to tell us that we can't do something. And, and so basically, they think I'm going to sue them. And really, what I just want is to be able to go after my dreams. And really, that's not a teacher's job. A teacher's job is not to decide what someone can and can't do. And at that point, I asked him to, I asked him to do a couple things, talk to the teacher. And the second thing I asked him to do was to take out of any of the textbooks that this particular teacher had written anything about someone with a disability to not, that can't be a professional. Okay, so with that said, I never had a problem again. And I kind of put that memory in the back of my head. And I'm sure teachers were terrified of me. I'm sure that was like a tidal wave that went down. And I guess God has really made me really brave. Because the thing is with dyslexia is I've mastered failure. 
I have failed by the time I got to college, I had probably failed over 2000 times. And there's something really interesting that you learn when you fail that much. When you get back your papers in high school and it looks like they're bleeding from the red marks on them, you learn that, yeah, you are totally allowed to feel disappointed in that moment. But darling, you only get one day to feel disappointed. You need to go back at it the next day. It's, it's the amount of time between your failure and starting again needs to be short. God does not need us to check out for months or years on end after a failure. And really, we should not be afraid of failure because that means we are learning. I ended up getting my bachelor's degree with a lot of drama in between from 1995 to 2001. But eventually, I got it and started working with kids. I have fought and clawed my way through graduate school. It was not until my second semester of my master's degree in special education that a teacher asked me, by any chance, do you have dyslexia? And that word changed my life. And from then on, I was like, listen, quit bullying me. I have dyslexia. And then I started reading books about it. And I'm like, oh, I process all of my information in the right cortex of my brain, not in the back left. So every time I'm reading, I'm reading for the first time. But it does not mean that I can't do things. I live in a world where everybody reads. It's like my husband has to decipher everything for me. When I drive, I have to do it by location, by what things look like. And when I moved out here, there was a McDonald's on every corner, I swear. And so I got lost every single day. Every single day on my way, every Monday night on my way to Portland State University, I would get lost. I would call my husband crying that I couldn't find my way. And that was before GPS units were really like, nothing was on the phone, like, So he would talk me out and help me find it. And I think it was like week 12 where I finally made it to the university without getting lost. And I remember being so happy when I got to the parking garage and like telling the guy, and I didn't get lost today. I didn't get lost. So when you learn completely different than everyone else, so all of my, everything needs to be in audio. Um, whenever I read anything. It's just been this year that I finally finished a book. I finally finished a book cover to cover that I actually read. And um, so when you're that far out of society, like that far out, you know, even though one in five of us have this, 70% of people incarcerated have dyslexia. 70% incarcerated have dyslexia. I know we don't talk about it and you know, I'm a problem solver. So like one day I went to the Kaiser station Jumba juice and I walked in and I'm telling you, it was a nightmare. I couldn't read the menu at all because there was a pattern behind it. And so the pattern was playing with the words. So I couldn't order. So I called the manager out and I said, is there any way 
that you guys could completely redo your menu board. This is what we need. We need it to be like beige, off-white, bold writing, and then little symbols below it of what's in each drink. Like if it's carrot, cucumber, then there'd be a carrot and a cucumber. And we talked about it and I go get rid of the pattern behind it. The next time I went back to Jumba Juice, which was about three months later, I walked in and I remember holding the handle and I remember that anxiety coming up of not being able to order and feeling the pressure of that. And I walked in and I looked up at the menu board and they had changed it to what I had asked. And I remember calling the the lady out and go, you changed it. She's like, yeah, we listened to you. We did it. So then in my head, I thought, okay, all I have to do now is talk to every single manager of every single store, grocery store and restaurant, and then, then everything will be easier and then it'll just be done. And, you know, that's not how it works. One of probably my scariest moments is when I'm at a job interview and they're asking me, you know, questions and like one job interview, they said, are you going to be able to edit and send out an email every single day on everything that happened in class? And we want perfect grammar and spelling. And I said, nope, that's not going to happen. Sorry. So it's like being that vulnerable of like, it's not possible. I ended up getting the job anyway, because the, it was a behavior classroom. And I guess I'm really good with, uh, 10 three-year-old boys that are acting all crazy. But I soon realized like going into getting my teaching license, I had to get accommodations. And so for the person with dyslexia, we have to apply for accommodations 12 weeks prior to taking the test. And that's three months. So everybody else gets to take the test on time with everyone else. Meanwhile, I have to propose that I will take the test differently than everyone else. And then from there, they made me wait four to seven weeks or four to seven months. So before long, it was June, everybody that I had gone to college with, with my master's degree already had their license because they could take the test. And I was still waiting to take my test to have an accommodation, which was a person sitting next to me reading it. And after going round and round with two of the major national testing companies in the United States, they basically didn't accommodate me. And I had to file a, I had to file a case with the justice department in Washington, DC. So three years ago, I decided here, here comes my, like, I get an idea and, and I feel like God wants me to move something big, a big idea forward. And I started thinking about why is it so hard at work? Like why, why? And I kind of like the, the gift of dyslexia is I can step back and look at the big picture. I'm like, oh, we don't have a department for dyslexia. We have a department for autism and all these other disabilities, but dyslexia doesn't even have a department. And I'm like, oh, that's all I have to do. Just start a department. No problem. So I emailed, I emailed the superintendent and I said, I'm proposing a new department within our agency and I'm going to talk to you and then I'm going to talk to the board. So I've learned to just go right to the top. Now they're asking me to make up a, something called a white paper where, where we talk about it. And so it's basically a proposal, but see, then again, what are they asking me to do? Right. 
They're asking me to write, which is my disability. But so I'm embracing it. I've really embraced people helping me. Um, I've talked to people about how with dyslexia, I use the accommodation of an editor. The editor is like someone who's blind that has a cane that walks or someone with cerebral palsy uses a wheelchair. My dys- with dyslexia, I use an editor. I'm at the seventh percentile for my silent reading ability. That means that 93% of other people read better than I do silently. I have to hear it in order to know what it says. When I do read a paper book, I, I underline things that I want to remember. So like I just joined a book club this last year for a company that I am a district manager in, which is Arbonne. And we, they're like, oh, we're going to do a book club. And my thinking error was like, oh, I can't do that because I have dyslexia. And I'm like, wait a minute. God created me to be able to overcome so many things. Like I can read this book too. So I started just underlining it. And so I guess, you know, my main thing is, is regardless of like the trauma you've experienced in your life, because mine, I have buckets full, buckets and buckets and buckets of trauma. I try to stay present and I try to think about everything that God needs me to do. And, you know, God needs me to push forward the idea that dyslexia does need accommodations in our society and that we can do things too. But, you know, dyslexia has taught me to overcome failure. It took me seven and a half years to read the entire Bible. And I finished it in March of 2020. Now, I was a little worried as I got into Revelations and the pandemic hit. (laughs) I kind of slowed down a little bit. It was a little much. And when I got to the last verse, I did close my eyes thinking that maybe everything was going to wrap up and we would be all done. But turns out we weren't. And then I went back to Genesis and started over. (laughs) <laughs> That's amazing. I'm I'm sure many others were reading Revelation and thinking the same thing. And what an accomplishment for you to make it through the whole Bible, truly. So on that note, let me ask you about your faith. As you navigated life with dyslexia, what was your relationship like with God? I grew up with a lot of trauma that I'm not going to go into but it was actually God who I learned to lean on in really dark times. And at that time, what's funny is, is I tried to pretend that life was a certain way during the day, during grade school and high school. It wasn't until age eight that I realized that I had a choice to make to either follow darkness or follow God and love. And at that point, that's when I feel like I grew up. I did have a hard childhood, but what I did learn about it is, is that he was listening to me. And so I'll give you an example. I learned at an early age that God is listening to my prayers. And when he says in the scriptures that you need to delight in him and he will give you the desires of your heart, he really does mean that. So One example is I was playing with my Barbie dolls one day 
And my Barbie had a little toy poodle that had a fancy collar and nail polish and all done up, right? I remember asking God for a toy poodle. And then on our 30 acres in rural Montana, a toy miniature poodle showed up, a real one. I was like, well, yeah, I asked God for it and you receive. Now, granted, I had that dog my whole childhood. I just learned that that's how it works. Now, granted, sometimes you have to wait a long time. Like, for instance, I remember being a little bit envious of a girl in the neighborhood that had one of those toy kitchens with a fried egg and all the little pans and all the things. Well, I didn't get that set until after I got my master's degree, my first classroom, they told me order anything you want out of the toy catalog. And you guys, a semi truck of toys arrived, a semi truck of brand new toys. I got my kitchen finally, but gosh, at that time I was close to 40. So yes, when I asked for that, it was a long time ago. You know, sometimes it's an immediate yes. Sometimes it's, it's a wait. And sometimes it's a long drawn out till, till you get it. But either way, no matter where we're at, we do need to be joyful in that. We do need to be joyful. And sometimes that's a lot easier said than done. I know you've been able to find a lot of joy and that comes out in your writing, which again, we'll we'll get to that. But was there ever a time in your walk with God when you were discouraged or had doubts or walked away? I actually walked away from God when I was 19. I lost my best friend in a car accident and I didn't understand why. So at that time, I decided to walk away. And so I walked away. I was figuring out the age today. I had walked away in 1993 when I was 19 years old. And I did not return to him until I was 32. So I spent many, many years thinking that Christians were crazy. And it wasn't until my life had fallen apart. I was on the East Coast and I a relationship that I was in fell apart. And for the first time, I prayed the, the prayer for peace. And I feel like that's like a, an automatic phone call to God. Because as we know, that like the more that we read and learn about God in the scripture, his name is peace. And so it was like I was, I was asking for his help. So it wasn't actually until 2006 that I fully came back to him. And since then, I've been on fire for God. Yes, you have been on fire for God. And I really appreciate that you talked about prayers being answered on different timelines. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's a really long wait. And I know that you experienced a waiting period with regards to marriage. I was hoping you could tell our listeners about your friends meddling and how you ended up meeting your husband. 
Well, Misty asked me if she could meddle in my love life. And ladies, I was 32 years old. I was like, come on already. I've been watching everyone get married, have kids, and practically their kids were in high school. And I just kept wondering, when is that going to, when is it going to happen for me? And honestly, it started with an argument with a wood pile because I had had a crush on someone and that had gone nowhere. And then I got a love letter in the mail from one of my students that was in jail. And I was like, this is who loves me. I was so mad at God. I remember just throwing wood in the back of this dump truck. And then I decided, all right, God, I'm chasing you. I am chasing you. I am putting you first. I am I'm ignoring everyone else and I'm running straight to you. And whoever is keeping up is who I will be with. So I met my husband through a church friend and, you know, it took Keith two weeks to email me and I was, I was wanting it to be a lot faster than that. I thought it would take maybe a day. And then, so we started emailing each other back and forth. And we started asking each other questions and we kind of just played trivia and like, what if, like, if you, if this happened, what would you do? If you won the lottery, what would you do? And finally in December, so four months later, we talked on the phone. The first time we talked, it was gosh, three hours. And then I flew out in February to see him at the Oregon family camp. And then he flew out in March and then I flew out in April. And then we're like, wait, where is this going? And then one night he said, I love you. And then I said, I love you also. Because two is just, two is just what everybody says. But also that's very serious. I was making the decision that we were definitely going to get married. So I was singing in somebody's wedding out in Bozeman, Montana, and he actually flew out to hear me sing in the wedding. And then on the way back on the continental divide where the water can run east to west, Keith asked me if I would marry him because I could say yes or no. And that is where our first kiss was. And I wish at that moment that I would not have waited a year, but I feel like the world says, wait, wait a year and, and get to know one another. No, I should have just gone right in. On my honeymoon in Glacier Park, I saw this heart shaped cloud start drifting across the sky and I snapped a photo of it. And that is my first heart that I ever found. I just love your search for hearts. And let's explain this and maybe give some context for the listeners. We began the episode by saying that you are an author, which is actually pretty remarkable considering everything you told us about having dyslexia. And now you have books and you have a blog about these hearts that I'll have you explain. But first... How did your journey as an author actually begin? One day I was at the beach and 
I announced to my friend, Jen, I said, today is the day I'm going to see a whale. And she's like, what? This is April in Oregon. It's not whale season. And I go, well, you can't put a limit on a limitless God. He can do whatever he wants. So I stood on the banks of the road there by the ocean with a hundred percent faith that God was going to bring this whale up and do its little flip and like go off. And I had my camera out taking all these photos and it did not happen. And I was like really perplexed. And again, I don't know where the original thought came from, but it's very profound in my writing And in my blog and everything is this moment, because when I got home, I sat next to Cassie, my stepdaughter, and I said, you've got to see the sunset at the beach. And as I was showing her the pictures, she said, look at the fish in the cloud. And there is a perfect whale in the cloud. From that moment that I stood on the beach and said, today is the day I'm going to see a whale. Well, see, I put the limits on God that it would be in the water. And he did it right before my eyes. And so for the longest time after that, I hid my photography and the things. And and even my husband said, you know, you're really secretive with what what you do. And I feel like it's like me and God, like hanging out. Talking and gosh, that must have happened in about 2012 or 2013. 2014 was when I heard someone who was 17 say they just wrote a book. And then I remember a prayer that I had placed to God when I was little. I wanted to write a book and I wanted my own genre. And when I (laughs) said that to my friend, Jen, she's like, did you know what you were asking for? And I go, yes, I wanted my own thing, my own separate thing that was just for me. But see, with dyslexia, people told me that you can't do that. There is no way you're going to be able to do that. And so again, after I heard this 17-year-old say that he wrote a book, I'm like, well, I want to do that. So I went back home. And I Googled Christian writing conference. And wouldn't you know it, there was one like two weeks from there. And I show up and out of all the the chairs that I could have picked and out of all the people I could have talked to, I spoke to Kendi, who is part of our writing group, who's just down the road from us. And I was like, well, I'm here to be a writer. I'm ready. Here I go. And so I joined the group and then I secretly entered the Cascade Writing Contest, which is a pretty big deal, but I didn't want to tell anyone that I put my whale story in. And so here comes June 1st when all the finalists are announced. And I'm a finalist. My very first contest that I ever enter, I'm a finalist. and. Everybody gave me a hard time after saying, you should have told us we could have prayed for you. But, you know, to me, like I was told for so long that I couldn't do it, that I felt like it had to be a secret. So after the whale photo, I started having this conversation with God, like, okay, how can I reach the people and talk to them about you? We came up with him and I, my hearts, like, I'm just going to start tracking hearts. 
So I have an entire Instagram following of just hearts that I've been finding since, you know, for the last 10 years, I probably have over 10,000 hearts. And then as time has gone on, it started becoming kind of a scavenger hunt for me. And it's my way of staying present because when you have depression, you're thinking of the past. When you are having anxiety, you're worried about the future. But if you're looking for hearts, you are present. You are like right there. And so for me, each heart that I find is God saying, he loves me. 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 And so one day I was out and I thought, okay, Lord, I would like to have a green heart leaf with color on the inside and green on the outside. And then I just started looking for it. And I was two weeks into looking for this heart on people's yards and in sidewalks and puddles and tires of cars and up in the trees. After two weeks, I thought, well, maybe God isn't going to show it to me until I'm 80. I mean, that could happen too. Because remember the long waiting, right? And then one day... I was walking the normal path that I normally take and there were no leaves around except for one in the middle of the sidewalk. And as soon as I saw it, I picked it up. And the thing is, is he did it opposite of what I wanted because he's still God. He's still in charge. He still gets to pick. And then Whenever he gives me something like this, something that I have waited for, I immediately ask him who I need to give it away to. Who needs this? And, you know, it, a flash of this woman's face that usually is out walking with her Scotty dog came into my mind. And so I started walking with a purpose, like ready to go. I didn't know where she was, but I was going to hunt her down. And wouldn't you know it, She was up like two blocks ahead, coming the opposite direction from another road. And then I waved her down like I was waving down a taxi in New York City. Like it's just her and I am. I'm like all high on God. Like I have been given something that I had prayed for and was looking for for two weeks. And this woman gets it. And so I proceed to walk with her. I'm sure she thought, you know. This woman's very excited over a leaf. What, what is interesting to me is um, the different ways that God pulls things in, like the, the heart hunting. I was at the beach um, for another workshop and I walked out to the car and as I grabbed the handle on the car, I saw a puddle. And because I had gotten into the pattern of taking photos so often that I went to go take a photo of it and another drop hit it and, and rolled it away. And I got mad at myself for not taking the picture faster. And then I'm like standing in the parking lot, it's pouring down rain. And I'm mad at myself for not capturing this heart. And then all of a sudden I realized, well, God could just make another one. I could just sit here and wait. So I am standing in the pouring rain in a parking lot, staring at a handle of a car. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I have my camera out and I'm ready. But now there's a group of people coming towards me 
And I'm like, oh goodness, here they come. And wouldn't you know it, they're trying to get into the car right next to me. And I'm standing there frozen, staring at the car. And all of a sudden, I feel God said to me, what are you going to do, Kelly? Be concerned about finite brains and minds, or are you going to spend some time with the creator of the universe? And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to spend some time with you, Lord. So I stood there and did not move. I did not look at them. I did not talk to them. And they pulled their car out in a very like awkward thing with me standing there. And I stood there and waited on God. And then all of a sudden, time slowed down. And I could see the tail of the raindrop coming through the air and landing on the handle. And it was like, boom, boom. And then the third one came down and the heart was there. I snapped it and then got in the car and got all my stuff and headed in. I was just covered in rain. I was drenched. And my friend Julie goes, where were you? And I'm like, I had to spend some time with God out in the parking lot. I think it's fair to say that we all need some time with God in the parking lot sometimes. So Kelly, how can listeners follow your heart hunting? So I have a blog. It's called kellysheartonline.com. And that's where I talk about my hearts and dyslexia and autism. And um, I talk about just what, what I see and, and little stories like, One of the stories is one day I went out on a walk and I come across a yard with seeded out dandelions. And if you are a seeded out dandelion hunter, this is the yard you want. And then of course, just like I do on all of my walks when I'm staying present, I ask God, well, is there a seeded out dandelion heart here? hidden in this yard. So I start looking, you know, now I'm wandering around somebody else's yard looking for this heart and I did not find it. And I picked it up and I was looking at one of them. And then I had this crazy thought and I said, Lord, Lord, I asked, would you release the seeds of the seeded out dandelion in the shape of a heart? And so I stood there for a second and I closed my eyes And my first thought was, really, Kelly, out of everything in the world that you could ask God for, it's a seeded out dandelion heart. And then all of a sudden, I had a little flash of a mustard seed. And of course, we all know what that means. It's a mustard seed of hope or faith. And of course, he cares about all of it. He cares about all of it. So I closed my eyes and I blew on it. And when I opened my eyes, there was a heart on this seated out dandelion. And then I was all high on God at that. I was like John the Baptist, honey and locusts in my hair running around the wilderness, but it was my neighborhood. And then again, I was like, okay, who do I need to give this to? So I went around and I'm looking and I'm like, nope, not them. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go over to my neighbor's house. Knock. Hey, hey, is your mom here? And she's like, yeah, hold on. And I tell her the whole story. And then I say, and he wants you to have it. And it's like, I'm handing her this like sacred, like 
really cool thing from God, right? And then the <laughs> most amazing dandelion. So I'm handing her this most amazing dandelion. And I, I'm telling her the story. And then she goes, that's so weird. And I go, what? What's so weird? And she goes, I just spent the whole day picking dandelions for dandelion tinctures. And so for this woman, she is not a believer, but because I was willing to stand on the sidewalk and ask God which way to walk, I was in some way able to reach this woman, you know, that day in that moment. Now, granted, I'm not like this every day. I do have to hold down a job and all the things, but, you know, he's just taught me that not to, not to have fear over things. You know, I think it's safe to say you've conquered a lot of fear and God has definitely made you an overcomer. Not only do you have a blog, but also books and listeners will put all of these links in the episode notes as usual, but Kelly, can you tell us what books you've written and what's on the way? So I've written three books, one on my interactions with God. I was doing nonfiction. And then, so my first book is nonfiction. It's my relationship with God and my short stories. My second book is called Made to Made from that professor that gave me that great book title. And it's my story of dyslexia and like what it looks like and what I've done to overcome. And then my third book is actually a set of three, super excited. It's biblical fiction, young adult, and I'm retelling a story from the Bible, but from the women's point of view, but I can't tell you what it is because it's a surprise, but uh, it's not a feminism book either. It's the story of three women who have never been talked about, but they are important to all of us. I love it. Well, I could ask so many more questions, but since we're about to wrap up, Kelly, would you pray for our listeners, particularly those who have identified with your story? You're great and glorious Lord. Thank you so much for this time and for all the people that are taking time to listen. Um, I just want to let you know that, you know, in God's word, he says in Genesis that we have been appointed for our position that we are in, whatever that position is, and that we are to be set apart, that we have been uniquely created, and that we have all been given special gifts and talents, and that the more we lean into being different and the more we lean into God, the the more we're going to be able to walk our true path. I just ask that you stay present and look for his love because once you find one, you're going to discover that there'll be a heart within a heart within a heart because his love runs deep. Just bless them all in your name. Amen. Amen. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story, for enlightening listeners, maybe who didn't know anything about dyslexia or, or thought they did and really understand it better now. I hope everyone is encouraged hearing your story, that if God has called you to do something, there is no obstacle that can get in his way. Ladies, thank you so much for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed this and we hope you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.